Hello, and welcome to another episode, episode 10, of This Can't Be Autism. Uh, This is a personal narrative podcast of a late-diagnosed adult struggling with autism, what that means, etc. I'm Doug Seibeck, your resident autistic, and this is my story, my thoughts, my podcast. I appreciate your listening and your support. You can find me, well, you already found me because you're listening to this, but you can find this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio something or other. There's a couple others, I think Google. Uh, And I appreciate it if you would go leave a review, star it. You can email me at thiscampyautism at gmail.com with your thoughts, comments, complaints, suggestions, whatever. I'd love to hear from you uh, because I appreciate your support in listening to this. And so this next topic is going to be a long-awaited book review. It's not really a review. It's going to be more thoughts about books because as I thought about it, um, I'll do book reviews for my writing because I do um, journalism as well as editorial work, uh, literary and journalistic, journalistic. And I also do writing, short stories, working on a novel, uh, in addition to journalism and editorials commentary. Um, So I will get into written book reviews maybe later, but this one is more going to be thoughts about autistic representation in journalism. This is by no means comprehensive. It's just initial thoughts, and it'll probably be brief. It won't be this hour-long journey which you may have come to expect I'll try and keep it brief Uh, but I do think it is interesting that there is a lot of focus on representation in general but with literature if you are a writer or artist in any way you often know that you need to get agents uh, to sort of do almost the business end of your book uh, help prep it for the market, find a publisher, uh, maybe, you know, fine-tune the story so that it is more marketable, uh, as in uh, kind of more geared towards the public wants. Uh, That's an aside, a different conversation, but there often is a balancing act between new, creative, your own personal voice, and then also what sells, (laughs) what the broad general public is going to like. That can be an often uh, antagonistic balancing act, but that's a separate issue. Uh, What happens is in representation of whatever group, uh, ethnic, um, genetic, (laughs) uh, gender slash sexual, regional, whatever it happens to be, there often seems to be um, an enthusiasm for certain representations. I happen to see when through agents, um, they will make pitches for this. It's like, I'm looking for this sort of story. Uh, it's this time of the year we need to highlight this amount of story uh, or this quality, this feature, this type of character, this storyline, etc. While these are very important, Uh, These are unique, often overlooked storylines. I do also think that there's a danger of pandering, that everything also looks 
the same, that they're often, it could be a focus on molding a representation or storyline to fit a certain um, market appetite or what have you. That there are certainly risks involved with that. I don't know all of them. I don't know all the nuances. I'm not going to pretend to. And I'm not going to pretend that everybody would know all of that either. But in general, I will say it is on balance a good thing to sort of highlight, reach out, and find representation. That being said, I would like more acknowledgement of neurodivergent representation, particularly autistic. Uh, there is kind of there are stereotypes out there, especially when you get personally the line of "Oh, you don't look autistic," or "You mask so well, it's incredible. You should be proud." Sort of, sort of uh, compliment. Um, this the stereotypes tend to be the characters of you get it the Sheldon Coopers, uh, the Good Doctor. Um, etc. That really, really highly intelligent, unemotional, or repressed, and just socially inept. That is certainly an aspect of the autistic spectrum, but just like any other quality or condition, it is not limited to that. Uh, Though I have been on the lookout for some books and I've gotten many good uh, suggestions off of TikTok and Twitter. And I'm very appreciative to people who have uh, reached out to me through the social media and in part thanks to the podcast uh, for those suggestions. I have a couple that I want to just mention real quick because for several reasons is one I think that they do in a way follow through on the stereotype I just mentioned of somebody who ha- who might be a little over analytical who might be I won't say unemotional because we autistic people do have emotions we often I find have emotions far more intense uh, than what we can observe in holistic people. That holistic means um, basically not autistic. Um, we do feel very intensely often, but we often have a disconnect, or at least I will say, given that there is a broad spectrum, I will only speak from my experiences as an example of what is a possibility on the autistic spectrum is we feel intense emotions such that they often evoke a fear-based visceral reaction of their potential energy, of just what we could be capable of through blindly following that emotion. Whatever it happens to be, good, bad, anger, love, joy, sadness, they can hold a lot of psychic energy that would propel us to do um, actions or lines of thought that would not normally be followed or enacted um, in the average state of affairs. Um, 
that can be a good thing. And what often I find is that salvation is um, the detachment of ourself from the emotions. We often, or at least I will say I, I'm sorry, I won't say we simply because I will only be a, a, a minor representation of the broad autistic spectrum of the detachment sort of saves us from the intensity of the emotions we can be feeling. Uh, it gives us a third, almost a third person or objective out-of-body view of both ourselves and the emotions as we're experiencing them. And that sort of distance, uh, almost like the narrator of a story recounting a highly charged emotional scene in a novel, uh, allows us a measure of control. It allows us a measure of safety, both from ourselves and from the emotion, and I think is a unique gift of autism that it that we are not so enwrapped in the emotions that we can actually pull ourselves out of it and see ourselves apart from the emotions interacting with the, the two interacting with each other. Uh, this is getting a very philosophical, very psychological, and I will circle it back to the story of the books because again as I mentioned the narrator and the books often um, allow us this perspective and I think although these characters that I've chosen seem to exhibit the stereotypical stoicism coldness the aloof uh, just demeanor that um autistic people or in real life can uh, exhibit. That's why we often get con called like Spock or a Vulcan uh, if you happen to be Star Trek fans in real life because that is how we are viewed being detached from our emotions. Um, there is actually an underlying feeling. There is more depth to the character and sometimes these stories are able to show that or bring it out or even just sort of hint at it, bring it out so that it is in the mind of the reader, just not directly. They don't come out and tell you, oh, he's mad or something like that. One, any bit of reading advice uh, will tell you on that sort of level, show, don't tell. If in dialogue or the action, a character is mad, don't say so-and-so is mad, he punched the wall. Um, make it so that the character is mad, not the narrator telling us he is mad. So don't say, oh, James was annoyed and he punched the wall. You say something like, you know, James's teeth creaked under the pressure of his jaw clenching and the wall broke the knuckles when he hit against the plaster. He didn't feel the pain, but only saw his hatred for so-and-so. Uh, that's just off the cuff, but it is something like that. You make the action um, convey the emotion. It's something that they always said is like, when you're doing dialogue, 
Uh, I personally believe there's nothing but wrong with the word said, even if, when you're trying to convey emotion. Because you don't want to say, I hate you, he said angrily. You want the person to scream out, you're a fucking cunt, I goddamn hate you and wish you were rotten hell. You want it to be mad. You don't want it to simply say he's mad. Well, a lot of that happens for autistic people um, almost subliminally. They don't really react that way. And uh, so here is maybe one example. I have the story here. It's a translation, Convenience Store Woman uh, by Sayaka Murata. I sorry, I'm usually better with um, pronouncing other foreign languages and dialects and things just but that particular Japanese was baffling me for a second. It is translated from the Japanese by Jinny Tapley Takemori. And I think it's a good addition. Uh, so in one of this, the story is, and I forget her name, because I got to find the character's name. But she is going to see her sister's child. And this is one example. And so I will quote from the story, uh, this is, again, a woman who is not a, a g- explicitly said to be autistic, but it is a character who is certainly written as if this was an autistic person and acts and behaves that way, uh, that they fall well within the recognized um, criteria. So here we go. Here's a, a quote from this. As far as I was concerned, though, There wasn't any difference between Miho's child and my nephew. And I didn't understand the logic of coming out all the way here just to see him. Maybe this particular baby should be more important to me than the others. But as far as I could see, aside from a few minor differences, they were all just an animal called a baby and looked much the same. Just like stray cats all looked much the same. So, end quote. So, I mean, the character is trying to understand. And this is a social interaction of, I should feel attached to my nephew. <laughs> but I don't feel more any more attached to my nephew than I do to any other person's baby. Or indeed, <coughs> excuse me, any other <coughs> animal I might find. Which is unique, <laughs> I find, is an interesting story. And part of this is um, when this character was young, uh, they had an incident in a schoolyard where there was a fight. And she came to the logical conclusion that she should take a shovel and whack the other kid with it to solve the problem. They were obviously either suffering or angry. And this was through other you know, historical uh, incidents in the book, the best way to solve it. And so later on, as an adult, it comes up with uh, something else where another quote comes, but once they get it into their heads that I'm not normal, since they all think they are normal, they'll give me a hard time about it, won't they? That'll be a lot of bother. So it'd be handy to have an excuse to fend them off with. When something was strange, everyone thought they had the right to come stomping in all over your life to figure out why. I found that arrogant and infuriating. 
not to mention a pain in the neck. Sometimes I even wanted to hit them with a shovel to shut them up, like I did that time in in elementary school. But I recalled how upset my sister had been when I'd casually mentioned this to her before and kept my mouth shut. I mean, she had always been kind to me ever since we were little, and I never wanted to hurt her, so I changed the subject and said cheerfully, Oh, that reminds me. I met Yukari for the first time in ages, and she told me I'd changed. <laughs> so, as you can see from this, it's a, it, it, we're able to take an analysis of events, and the character, these are isolated ones. The story is very good, recounting uh, this person's struggles in uh, the, their work at a convenience store, both how they use uh, the Japanese convenience store company even provides them scripts for how they should interact with customers. You know, greet them, you say something as soon as they walk in the door, you say something as soon as they're leaving, you thank them, you be gracious, You here's how you interact with them. And she finds that very helpful. Um, and I find that rather convenient. <laughs> it's very helpful to have that sort of guidance of social interaction. In uh, other instances, it's recounted how while she works with uh, a middle-aged woman, a wife, who must have a somewhat successful husband, is able to dress well and quite fashionably. And now this person doesn't do that and has no idea how to dress uh, fashionably or acceptably, uh, you know, to be somewhat taken seriously. We, we must acknowledge that in our society, looks and images do convey certain uh, status, certain cachet, certain meanings, certain import. And she didn't understand this much as a lot of autistic, certainly I do not understand. Uh, but we tried to convey by looking at social cues, one of which was she emulated this woman. The character decided this person dresses fashionably, knows how to coordinate styles, patterns, and colors, as well as accessories, what have you, and decides, I will use this person as a template and a guide to how I should dress. I, The character certainly couldn't afford the same brand of clothes or the same you know, level, uh, but took the pattern as to, you know, what was in style, you know, length of skirts or cut of jackets as well as patterns and colors and combinations as her template and did so deliberately. I mean, this was a studied, calculated choice to do this. Uh, this is a good representation of oftentimes what I will say many autistic people feel the need to do to fit into society. We have to look at other social cues, uh, other patterns of behavior, other uh, aspects such as demeanor and dress and decide how do other people fit in to you know segments of society and situations and we find role models guides templates and try to follow them now i'm not saying holistic people don't do this but to at least my thinking uh Many holistic people 
do not do so in a studied, conscious manner. It is more the unconscious socialization of fitting in with a group, which oftentimes holistic people do not do. So this book is really good uh, characterization and uh, so you're able to empathize with the person, their struggles. Um, <coughs> you get the idea that they suffer from not fitting in, but you also see it in the objective as in the characters not always quite certain that they are suffering, that I, I know I'm different, people think I'm weird, but I don't understand why that actually should matter, that I'm not, that even if I'm weird, I'm not weird, it doesn't bother me, it doesn't hurt. It does matter that, say, a certain society says a woman should be married at a certain age or something like that. Um, and that is actually why she took the job at a convenience store, is because she was feeling pressure at, you know, at a certain age of life, her society demanded she should have done something at this point. She should either be married, starting to have kids, or have be a dedicated sort of professional, uh, being autistic with a, uh, she found it very, in limited education uh, to various professions. She decided the regimentation of working in a convenience store near her parents' home and near her home where she lived uh, was far more convenient. And so this was as best as she could meet societal expectations. And it's actually a pretty good story uh, as a translation. So another one uh, is called The Maid. Again, it's a New York Times bestseller. However the hell the New York Times calculates bestsellers, it makes their list. It's a mystery. But again, that is another topic, another podcast uh, probably completely different from uh, this can't be autism because I don't understand it. But then again, not many people do because it's a mystery. But I'm going to be talking about Nita Prose's The Maid, a novel, which is a really good sort of whodunit mystery. And I like the idea of this character. She no, she's special. She lives with her grand, had lived with her grandmother, um, takes people at face value, uh, trusts, and is very observant and is very distant. And basically, other people like her manager, her grandmother, um, help her by just giving certain guidance and rules. And it's a wonderful story. And I, while I look for um, just a sample. It was, I have to say that the story is a little better at getting at the underlying struggles of an autistic person than the first example. Uh, that could be down to the nature of the story of the character as they are written, but also it could be merely a function of translation. Uh, the maid is written in English. Uh, but it's really an interesting story so far of how this person navigates um, office sort of politics. She's a maid. She has a superior, like the head chambermaid, 
who um, we see in a certain um, narrated, uh, almost flashback, uh, the uh, uh, an important character, uh, a suspect, the widow, um, is friend to the maid, and uh, the this is a rich and powerful woman, a celebrity. Um, but unfortunately, or not unfortunately, a trophy wife. So that struggle that in, adds nuance to that particular character, as well as a motive for possible murder. And that's not giving anything away uh, as to, you know, the plot. It's just there is a character motivation. Um, we do see a flashback scene where the chambermaid is sort of hinting, you know, oh, you are far too important a client. I'll take your, uh, take over your duty. And she's like, no, I like her, the maid. She's far more special to me. We're friends. I'll do that. Don't ever change that. Uh, that becomes a pointy scene because we also realize the maid suspects that the supervisor is somehow stealing her tips like always manages to get in early um go to the choice penthouse rooms assigned to the maid and starts them doesn't maybe finish them but the tips are always gone or reduced a lot and so the maid is suspects she notices the differences but doesn't <coughs> feel there's a disconnect between anger it's more of the innate sense of justice, heightened sense of justice in an autistic person that I should report this, but I should only do so if I have evidence and proof that will, you know, bring about a correction in the situation. So she tolerates it. Um, it's, it's, it's also convenient that uh, the maid is the one who finds the murdered body and later on has to go to the police station and gives some interesting interview uh, with the t police sergeant or detective who gets who has to exhibit a lot of patience <laughs> to go through because it's like okay just tell me what happened in which point the maid goes into detail of what I did all that day leading up to find the body this is the condition we find the body as well as also thinking hmm the widow is my friend. I don't want to say anything which could be misconstrued as prejudicial against my friend, so I'll skip that, of really having to calculate what is really relevant to the store, to the crime, and uh, gets to the point afterwards of, you know, there's a phone call when she finally gets home, and it's the hotel manager of, oh, the head chambermaid uh, can't come in tomorrow because it's, you know, the horror of the tragedy has really overwhelmed her emotionally and she just can't bring it, bring herself to come in. To which the maid answers, um, tomorrow is my day off, it was scheduled, and I'm the one who found the body. This other person had nothing to do with it, never saw the person, wasn't even there that day. Why is she taking the day off? And the most you can come up with after getting some perfunctory answer to that question is, okay, I will do it. I, I 
I will make you proud. I will work for the hotel. So these, it's a wonderful sort of scene. I won't quote it because I don't have it at my fingertips, uh, but it's a very good <coughs> story that gets into, um, again, the sort of detachment that autistic people can have, the sort of hyper attention to details, the analytical uh, abilities to sort of put things together in a unique way that can lead to uh, profound conclusions that might elude elistic people or take them a lot longer to reason their way to uh, by having to be reminded of certain aspects of evidence. Uh, it also ha- is a really good way of bringing out the underlying pain of interactions with other people. Uh, At one point, there's a very touching flashback scene where the maid uh, is remembering her grandmother that she always lived with. Her grandmother took care of her because her parent, her father just left the scene. Her mother decided to abandon them because as an autistic child, she was just far too much to deal with. The grandmother, an old Irish soul, worked hard as a maid in a hotel, um, saved all of her money to put aside a nest egg for this girl and said, you know, I won't live forever. I need to know that you'll be provided for. That's why I did this. Go make a deposit. So when um, the, the girl was able to work. She decided, I will become a maid. Uh, The grandmother's like, but you can do anything. You enjoy this other type of activity. Um, You're good at it. Uh, Maybe in accounting or something. Why don't you try that? You can go to a community college, take a class. Which she did. She enrolled. Um, When she was working only part-time at a hotel that her grandmother used to work at, which is where she is now the maid, Um, that's how she got into the situation where she found the dead body and helped solve the crime. Um, she was working there part-time to help pay for the community college so that she wouldn't have to use a lot of her nest egg. Uh, we're led to believe that this is quite a sizable sum, that they lived very frugally, um, worked hard and set it aside so that she could basically live the rest of her life off of this. Uh, but while she was at the community college, she met a man. And this was a man, um, was her first romance. It was a man who apparently uh, took an interest in her, into her interests, found her social peculiarities uh, adorable. Um, But we later learned that she figured out he used her. He would, um, like, was interested in her work at the hotel. So let me meet you there sort of things, I'll see you at work, at which point she suspected him of stealing tips as well as uh, small items uh, from the rooms of the guests, you know, guests, she was, he was stealing from them in the hotel. Uh, then she also decided at one point she needed to go to the bank to, say, pay for the community college, another tuition, and found out all the money was gone. Her ATM card was gone. He never contacted her again. All the money was gone. And she finally realized he just used me. Uh, 
Uh, this is unfortunately not altogether uh, an uncommon storyline, uh, both for women and men. It has happened to more than one man uh, as well. Uh, but it was her trusting nature, the way it's recounted, uh, that lets you really feel the underlying hurt in her from being betrayed that she actually, in her way, loved this person and was betrayed by it. And you get the idea that although the financial aspect was absolutely devastating, I mean, undermined decades of work from her grandmother, her own work to keep her financial security in life because uh, they wanted to make sure her as a somewhat limited person, um, and I only say that in purposes of the book from their intentions, uh, wanted this nest egg to keep her secure in living a modest life. Uh, it would sustain her. And then that was betrayed. So while that did hurt, and while it did upset the maid, you also get the idea that what was really sort of devastating was the fact this person sort of let herself believe somebody actually cared for her. It was somebody held honest, genuine affection and wanted to get close and accepted her for who she was more than just her family, more than just her grandmother. She wasn't just, I mean, she's just sort of tolerated, slightly patronized at work, um, maybe has a friend there that she likes, somebody who would like give her water and then they talk. He's a he's a kitchen busboy uh, in, in the kitchens of the hotel restaurant and room service and things. Uh, but you get the idea that, you know, the manager sort of takes care of her, uh, professionally makes sure she understands this is how you interact with clients. This is what you do. Keeps her basically rule, social rules that she memorized and follows and is happy to sort of recite. It's like, well, I remember Mr. So-and-so said, this is rule I should follow interacting with guests. Make eye contact, but then look down. Be deferential. Say thank you. Um, leave the room. Ask permission. All these sorts of little rules that she accepts and follows. Um, this college guy did more than just sort of tolerate her acceptors. That he gave her the impression he accepted her. And so you have the impression that betrayal is what really hurt. Now, they don't really overtly say, at least of the parts that I've gotten through, um, like, damn him, I hate him, he hurt me. It's more, she always says, I now must work or continue to work or work harder in order to provide the life that I have. I live in the same apartment where me and my grandmother, my grandmother and I used to live. She is now dead. It hurt. You also get the real sense that after the grandmother's death, she feels a great loss, that she is very much isolated and alone, that the people she knows still in her life, like her manager, the senior chambermaid, um, don't really have the connection. <clears throat> she has a friendship, again, with the kitchen busboy, 
You get the impression she would like that to be somewhat romantic, but is hesitant and shy, and he, he may well as be as uh, be as well, as well as you get the sense that she thought she had a genuine friend in the widow who took her under a wing, like one time gave her a makeover. It's like you know you you are a beautiful girl. Let's just put on some makeup here. Do this. You have such wonderful skin, sort of thing, and generally you get the idea cared for her. It wasn't just, they were friends for a series of years. It wasn't just like setting up an alibi or something. And she did go out of her way to look forward to take care of her. Uh, the husband was stereotypically, you know, a captain of industry, a brute, short-tempered, um, didn't suffer fools, you, you know, really self-absorbed sort of thing. So when there was a scene where the maid came in, he was working. She's asking, would you like me to restore the room back to its pristine perfection? Um, he comes off with flippant answers. Um, she doesn't quite understand that he's basically telling her, fuck off, get out of the room, I'm working, don't make me hurt you, is what he absolutely was saying. Well, the wife comes out of the bedroom and says, don't worry, I'll take care of it, Lizzie, and walks her out to the hallway and come back later, and basically says, you know, I I needed to have saved you before he got violent, <laughs> sort of thing, because he has limited patience and is very frustrated at the moment, and so you, please go, I don't want that to happen to you, sort of thing, as well as, you know, they, they've, she gives her little gifts. It's like, make sure she is tipped well uh, after the incident or recounting with the senior chambermaid. Make sure that she gives the tips to the maid rather than leaves them out, say, under a pillow or on a nightstand as is typical custom. Um, it's just a very good story so far. And I recommend them because we should see good representations of autistic people, not just the stereotypes. Um, I only bring, uh, brought the TV show characters to mind because that is what it's easy to superficially uh, sort of think of. Um, uh, those shows do get into more nuance and show some of those things. But when you think of the names, you think of the caricatures. And that's it. Uh, other books I am reading just as an aside because I do like science fiction. I am taking over, uh, I recommend the short stories of John Cheever. It's an oldie. Um, he's from Massachusetts, the Boston area. He wrote The Swimmer, uh, which is an excellent, like quintessential short story, uh, as well as basis for a, a rather thought-provoking movie. And the one, another uh, sci-fi uh, speaking of representation, uh, by, I will be safe to say, since she marks it, uh, a couple times in her, uh, autobio in, in the author bio, uh, she says she's a queer author, so I will be happy to say she should rep is a good representation of that, as well as sci-fi writing, it's called The Archive on Dying, uh, so far it sounds good, um, basic premise is there are cities that were basically run by artificial intelligences that they, they are conscious they are basically a living organism 
many of them are dead. <laughs> what do you do when you are nothing but, you know, a parasite to a living body that was a machine, uh, the, hum- the, the humanoid characters, um, when they go insane or they die, when you were dependent upon them, what happens? So, so far, it's a very fascinating read. And I do like that. Uh, apart from um, the John Cheever search stories, I do recommend the stereotypical Ernest Hemingway short stories. As a writer, um, many people have a lot of problems with Hemingway. I think as a writer... He should be read for the elegance of the sentence. He came from journalism. He believed in very straightforward sentences. Just say what you're supposed to say. Put it together. Build on sentence after sentence. Don't make these huge, long, overly complicated sentences with a lot of dependent clauses and phrases and adjunctives uh, added on. Just say what you're supposed to say. Get to it. It is very clear, concise, and it is that directness, is that blatantness that can give a lot of raw emotional impact as well as create the tension and just action that makes for good stories. Because they are still good stories. In the end, Hemingway still write good stories. I mean, The Old Man in the Sea won the Nobel Prize for a reason. It <clears throat> is a bit of a bizarre story. It's a maybe a bit of a common story. Might be even uninspired, but the way he wrote it is brilliant. The tale of a man just going out at the end of his life, doing what he's already done, fighting the fight of his life, and coming to the tragic end <laughs> in realization that even though he won, he lost in the end. So these are good stories to read. Keep reading. If you're a writer, keep writing. If you're an artist, keep creating, because that is what we need really now in this world um, is a lot more just thinking. As Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean, uh, put out after um, a squabble about legislation in the UK, where they would where they would do basically what we do in America a lot illegally is censor and arrest people for trying to express a thought that somebody else could possibly find offensive somewhere. So we can't do that. We can't offend. However, I think it may have even been Jefferson. It actually probably was Madison. You know, basically the sentiment of if free speech isn't offensive it's not really free, it's not really speech. (laughs) If it doesn't offend somebody, it's pointless. Uh, But he said um, that the antidote to unpalatable or objectionable or even false ideas and speech is not censorship. The only absolute cure for that sort of failing is more speech. Telling somebody they're wrong and trying to shut them up, first of all, doesn't work. 
And second of all, it's not the right way to go about it. In order to truly value free speech, freedom of thought, you must let everybody speak. You just don't have to listen. And then you get to counter them with your own reasoned speech. And that's all. Uh, Part of that goes hand in hand with representation is that we need to have accurate portrayals of honest, authentic, well-rounded characters, not just caricatures or stereotypes that reinforce preconceived or even prejudicial notions about certain groups. And I think one of the last boundaries uh, of those is actually neurodivergence, autism. That's why you still get the idea of, well, you don't look autistic. Uh, Oftentimes when I get that, I want to ask them, what do you mean by that? What do you think autism looks like? And I, to be honest, don't want to be offensive with this, but I'll say it anyways, is I almost want to ask them, do you seem to think that autism is somehow Down syndrome or something like that? Although it is probably genetic, it is certainly neurological, it is biological, um, there are misconceptions about what autism is. Um, it, there, there are very few physical characteristics that I could say. It's like you don't, we're not like all blonde or we don't have all blue eyes or something like that. Um, there are often a lot of physical behaviors that are associated with autism. Uh, mostly I would think of stimming. We tend to move a certain way. We'll twitch. We can dance. We can, uh, like as in Tourette's, uh, syndrome is also in autism, like twitch, move, um, grunt, make certain noises extreme cases or the more significant cases of autism especially in children you do things of like head banging um there are way it is a way to try and avoid the overstimulation that we have uh for possibly um so our our representation matters it is important that we consider reading all kinds of stories, even those one we might find somewhat distasteful or challenges our preconceived notions. And I would encourage that. I do try to do that. That's why I look for more stories, um, fictional about currently uh, autistic people or neurodivergent, even if they are represented in a a way uh, that would challenge me, that I might find... Um, dis, not distasteful or offensive, but something that would just sort of hit me on a visceral level of, is this really how we are seen sort of thing. I look forward to finding those stories. I look forward to reading those stories. I look forward to being challenged on an emotional, intellectual, um, in the creative level as sort of writing how well it is done. Uh, for those stories. I hope you find them. I hope you tell me your stories. I hope you write those stories. Uh, That could be representation of any group because everybody has a story. Um, Even though I, as an artistic person, feel that I might not have much of a story, that there might not be much of a quote-unquote me to share with everybody. Um, At some point, I firmly believe that somehow there still is 
a me and a story. And I would like to share it. And if anybody else would like to partake in that sharing, I welcome that. So thank you for listening. Try to send me some your thoughts, book recommendations, movie recommendations. If there are any art you like, I personally happen to like Mark Rothko at the moment. So want to learn more about him, for example, uh, please let me know. You can send that into thiscan'tbeautism at gmail.com. So I am, again, Doug Sybeck, your resident autistic. This has just been another segment of my journey in trying to figure out um, what autism means to me now that I have been diagnosed for a little over a year now as a late diagnosed adult, um, sort of backfilling in my history in the context of a diagnosis and what that means and how to do it and share it with you. And I look forward to hearing from your stories, hearing from you. Uh, please, if you like the podcast, uh, rate it, uh, send me comments and reviews, and I will do my best to improve with your suggestions. But thank you for listening to This Can't Be Autism with Doug Seibach, and hope everybody finds a good story to enjoy. Thanks.